Well, good morning. Fantastic. Special welcome to Yarram Locksport this morning. Great to have you with us. Hope you're having a great, sunny, dry, warm morning down where you are. It's definitely not like that here. Winter's come a little bit early. Uh, if you're online this morning, a special welcome to you as well. Very cool. So we are in week three of a series in John. Uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, 19 to 34 in a few moments' time. But just before we get there, I want to give you a few quick announcements. I know we've got more announcements later, but just... There's always announcements, isn't there? A few quick announcements. So um, if you're a member of SBC, um, you may be aware that there's an AGM coming up on the 25th of May, uh, and that's whatever we're up to now, a couple of weeks away, a few weeks away, uh, and so there'll be documents emailed out to members and stuff uh, this week regarding that. But for the rest of us that call SBC home, um, I just wanted to make you aware that we have a, a weekly budget with our tithes and offerings, and we rarely, if ever, talk about money from the stage, um, but I think it's important that we know that we have a, a weekly budget for our tithes and offerings that enable us to do all the ministries, um, pay our staff, uh, keep the lights and the heaters and everything, you know, there's costs involved with churches. Uh, and currently, up until this point in the year, we're roughly $2,000 a week below that budget, which is starting to have a, an impact on our cash flow and um, some different things. So I would just like to ask you as our church and our family just to prayerfully consider your giving and, um, and what that is uh, and just be praying for our church and our church council especially regarding that. Um, we believe that God is a God who provides and he'll make a way um, but if you can be praying for that, that'd be fantastic uh, and we'll give you a more detailed update at the AGM coming up so make sure you're there for that if you're interested. Um, the other thing that's coming up in a few weeks' time, which I'm really excited about, is our all-in service on the 28th of May. So on the 28th of May, we're inviting everyone to become to come into the room here in Sale, uh, everyone from Locksport, everyone from Yarram, even if you don't normally come into Sale. Uh, we really would love to see everybody who comes to um, every place and location to, to join us on that special Sunday on the 28th of May. All our kids will be paused for that Sunday and they'll be in on the service as well. Uh, where we can celebrate together as a big family. We're going to have a lunch afterwards. And as a part of that service on the 28th of May, we're going to do um, some child dedications, baby dedications. Maybe you're a parent and you've got children, and if you're like me, maybe you've dedicated one or two of them, but not the rest of them, um, because the more you have, the less you think. I don't know. Anyway, for whatever reason, I'm in the same boat, uh, and they're not any less loved by God, they're not any less loved by me, just less dedicated. Uh, and if you... <laughs> but that will change on the 28th of May. If you want to be a part, if you want to join me, uh, if you want to um, join some other families, and, and we'll do a, a bit of a, a child dedication for parents and families all together, uh, so it doesn't have to be a spotlight on just one person, because that can be a little bit daunting. Um, feel free to plan to do that. There's a way for you to register to do that on the church app. Um, there's an, in, in the events, you can see that that's a, a, an option there and there's information about what child dedication is about that you, it's important for you to read and understand before doing it. Um, so I'd really encourage you to, to think about that, pray about that um, and, and do that if you can. Fantastic. There are the updates I wanted to give you. Um, like I said, we're in John 
week three, and so far we've looked at the first 18 verses, uh, and the first 18 verses are like the introduction to John's gospel. They set up the tone, the expectation uh, for, for the rest of the gospel, and now we're getting into the, to the main body of, of John's gospel. We're starting to see uh, some of the stories and some of the events that John wants to highlight to us to show us how Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the Son of God. Um, at the end of John, John makes it clear that's his purpose and that's his mission, that people would know Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. Uh, and so we're going to start to see that. Um, we're going to see that there's some of these signs. Uh, some people call the first half of John's Gospel the Book of Signs, and there's seven signs we're going to look at um, from uh, chapter 1 onwards, and you can sort of keep count um, of those seven signs if you like. So we're going to look at chapter 1, 19 to 34. The, the second half of, the, sorry, the rest of chapter 1 will be looked at next week, but this section from, one, from 19 to I think about 54 verses, I think there is, or 50 something verses in John 1 is set over four days and we're going to look at the first two days, four consecutive days. We'll say, this happened, the next day this happened, the next day this happened, the next day this happened. So the first two days we're going to look at next week, the next two. So let's read John chapter 1, 19 to 34. It says this, this was John's testimony. Recap, this is not John who wrote the book of John. It's very confusing. This is John the Baptist, a different John. So this was John the Baptist's testimony from when Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, Why then do you baptise if you aren't the Messiah, the Elijah, or the prophet? I baptise with water, John answered. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptising. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes, one, comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptise with water, told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptises with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. God, we thank you for your word this morning and we thank you that we can hear it, we can read it, and uh, you will help us to understand it and to obey it. We pray for your insight this morning and your ability to do those things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things um, 
I'm a dad of three kids, and, one, and I feel like I was saying to Alana, my wife, last night, I feel like every time I'm giving illustrations these days, it's all about my kids, and I remember my dad doing this and sort of despising him for it, but here I am. <laughs> History repeats. <laughs> They're a good source of um, life lessons. And one of the things that happens, I don't know if it happens to you if you've had kids yourself, but you begin to see snippets of yourself in your kids, and you cringe. You're like, oh poor guy. I see that so often in my boys, especially. Um, the, uh, Harry, my eldest, um, is a bit aloof sometimes, a bit like hard to concentrate on particular things and, and I think, oh my gosh, it's just like me. <laughs> um, I can be told one thing and then three seconds later I can... And, yeah, anyway, so um, it, it gives you a bit of a reflection of like, oh, that's me. Um, and then you try to coach and steer a more a, a better way to live because uh, you can see that's if there's something I could change about myself and I probably should um, I could I could change that um, and I, I think this morning what I want us to think about is this idea that we all see ourselves in a different way we all have an identity or a, a way in which we view ourselves and this morning we're going to look at how John viewed himself so John's sense of his own identity and then John's sense of Jesus' identity and how they were so important to each other. And so the main idea that we're going to keep coming back to this morning is this. The more you know who Jesus is, the more you'll know who you are. The more you know who Jesus is, the more you'll know who you are. And so John's sense of his own identity is this first section, this first day, if you like. And what happens is the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders... um, um, People would come along in this time, in this, in this season of the Roman Empire, and, and claim to be the Messiah, claim to be a, a sent from God, because the, the Jews were waiting for the promised one, the Messiah. And so there were people that were coming along saying, I'm the, I'm the Messiah. Uh, and, and I mentioned this last week, and the Romans would take them and crucify them. Uh, and, and I suppose... Before they crucified him, they would send out some people to interrogate and find out, hmm, what is this person actually saying? Um, they had a little bit of due diligence, I suppose, before just chucking people on a cross. And so this was um, a part of their due diligence to John the Baptist because he was going around baptising people and they're thinking, okay, let's go and find out if this is another one. Do we need to make another cross? Is this where this is headed? Who are you? What is going on here, John? And so he's being interrogated by these Pharisees, by these Jewish leaders, um, because they need to find out who John thinks he is. And it's a very interesting exchange, isn't it? It's like, who are you? They keep asking this question, who are you? Are you this person? Are you that person? Are you this other person? Are you a prophet? Are you Elijah? Because Elijah was someone in the Old Testament who, um, if you know the story of Elijah, he didn't die. He was taken up by chariots in, into heaven and there was this uh, sort of prophecy that Elijah would come back, there'd be a, there'd be a Elijah type of, of person that would come back and be a, a voice for, for the Messiah, someone proclaiming uh, about the Messiah and so they thought maybe this guy is the Elijah figure that we've been thinking and, and knowing would come and John the Baptist says no to all those questions. All he says is, when they finally get frustrated enough, just give us an answer. Just tell us something about yourself. And he says, 
I am a voice, verse 23, crying out in the wilderness, make straight the, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. You see, John's identity was wrapped up in who Jesus was. Nothing more or nothing less. And even as I begin to think about this idea, um, I was really just thinking about this um, awareness of how we are all a voice for something, that our lives speak about something or or someone. Uh, When people encounter us or talk to us or look at us, our voices... And I'm not just talking about our audible voice, but our life, our life's voice talks to something, speaks to something, points towards something. And John was saying here, my life is pointing, I'm a voice for Jesus. Remember last week we looked at this idea that John the Baptist was like a window through. He was a, something that people would look through and see Jesus and how we are to live a life of a witness that is like a window, that people can see through us and not get caught up on who we are but caught up on who Jesus is. And John the Baptist is echoing this idea that his life speaks about Jesus. He has a voice crying out in the wilderness. And then the other thing he talks about, so he says he's a voice, that's one part of his identity, is he, he speaks about something else other than himself. And then the other thing he says in verse 26, he says, I baptise with water, John answered them, but someone stands among you. And you can imagine the, the Jewish says, oh, you? Is it you? Who is it? Um, someone stands among you, you don't know him, and here's the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. I'm not worthy to untie. Now, to understand this, you have to really understand first century feet. I know it's not something you've probably studied much of, neither have I until this week, but apparently first century feet were disgusting. They were vile. They was, this was like the lowest of lows, and, and so disciples... Um, so you would never wear your sandals inside someone's house. You would always take them off, uh, and you have to wash your feet because there was just we didn't ha- they didn't have nice polished shoes or Nikes or anything like that. They just had sandals, and they didn't have paved, clean roads with gutters and and things like that. They just had dirt roads and some cobblestone roads and the animals and everything, excrement, and all that was just on the road and stepped and walked through, and. And you can imagine how, I mean, feet are disgusting at the best of times, 2,000 years on, but in the first century, they were really gross. And so the, the Jews would not let another Jew touch their feet or touch their sandals because it, it was too disgusting. They would let a Gentile servant un, untie their shoes, um, but they would not let um, anybody else do it. And so when John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He doesn't say, I'm only worthy to untie his shoes. Like, I'm, that's, I'm only at that level. He says, I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm not even, like, it's, there's such a gap between me and Jesus. There's such a gap. He's saying, he is so high, he is so great, and I am so low. And so my life speaks about him. And not low as in like low self-esteem, because sometimes we can think of that as like, oh, he just hated himself. No, John didn't hate himself. He just wasn't about himself. He was just about Jesus. He was about the one who was to come, the one who was, as we're going to find out, the lamb who was going to take away the sin of the world. 
You see, when you get out of the way and are simply a window to the one who makes dead things alive, your ministry is astounding. And John had no awareness of how astounding his ministry was. He grossly underestimated what he was actually about. And not because he had low self-esteem, but just because he wasn't about himself. And I think this is what biblical humility, as we discover, is really all about. Not because you think just I'm just a little weed and, and have nothing to offer, but I'm, just, I'm not thinking about myself, I'm thinking about Jesus. Because you've recognised the one who is really great is. John's ministry was remarkable because it wasn't about himself, it was about Jesus. His confidence, his courage, his ability to empty himself and not care about his own well-being all came because he saw and he recognised who Jesus really was. So, you know, that interrogation that we hear in John 1, and he says, no, I'm not Elijah, I'm not anything like that. It's strange, because if you read Matthew 11, and you read what Jesus thinks about John the Baptist, I want to show you what what Jesus says about John the Baptist. And this is obviously after this interaction, this is later on in John and Jesus' life. It says this in Matthew 11, 7 to 14. It says, as they were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John the Baptist. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? Someone who was unsure just about anything? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom is written, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. Now, no one born of women. Like, that's, that's a lot of people. That's everybody. That's everyone. No, one, no one's greater than John the Baptist. And what's John the Baptist's view of himself? He's just, I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice in the wilderness. From the verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violence, violent has been seizing it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. This is the Elijah. You see, when we get out of the way and when we put our lives um, to focus and be a voice for Jesus, our ministry will grow and our effect on people will grow but it won't reflect on, it won't be about us, it won't be for our own sake. It won't be to bolster our own self-esteem or sense of who we are because we're not doing it for any of those reasons. Jesus' view of John was completely different to John's view of himself. I think the trap in our culture today is that we either think too high of ourselves or too low of ourselves. We think we're great and people should listen to us and pay attention to us because we've got all the answers about everything or we're too low and we think oh, I'm just nothing, I don't deserve anything and no one, I sh- no one should talk to me or, um, or anything like that. And both of those views are completely, completely wrong. They're, they're, self, they're both self-centred in their own different ways. But John's view was not self-centred, he was, he was like transparent, he was a voice for the Lamb of God, for the Chosen One, for, for the Messiah, for the Son of God. And this is what humility is all about. Humility is someone is about someone else and not yourself. 
When Jesus humbled himself, he was about you and I. And it was a model for us to follow. The amazing thing about, I mean, John's gospel is just incredible, but in John 13, and we'll get to this story in probably 10 years' time, in John 13, we'll get to this story, and, and, and what happens in John 13, the night before Jesus is betrayed? It's the Passover, and what does he do? He washes the feet of the disciples. It's like John the Baptist is sitting here going, I'm not even worthy to untie the, sh- the sandal straps. And what's Jesus doing? He's getting down in the dirt, washing the disciples' feet. Now, and disciples would never wash their master's feet, let alone, I mean, this was just turning this whole paradigm on its head and some. It was an incredible thing of humility. And, um, and this is the way Jesus modeled, and this is the way John was setting an example of how to live as well. The very thing John understood, he wasn't even able to begin to do with Jesus. Jesus was doing for his disciples and more. Not only untying the straps, but then washing the feet as well. And what did it say in Matthew 11, verse 11? So, none, among these born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You know, Jesus has this way of saying that those who want to be first must be last. Those who want to be great must become the least. And then that's what he does with his life. Jesus empties, he is literally the greatest and he empties himself to become the very bottom. And he's saying, this is how you are to see yourself. You are to become underneath, you are to become humble and about someone else. And that someone else is ultimately Jesus. In John chapter 3, we're going to see this idea where John the Baptist says, he must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. And so John has this view of himself that he is a, a voice, he is transparent, he is someone who is about somebody else. And then we begin to see a little bit of a window into John's idea of who Jesus is. And it's like a smorgasbord of titles. You don't see so many titles for Jesus put in one place at once. I don't think anywhere on the Gospels. Things like Messiah, Prophet, Jesus. This is all just in chapter 1. Messiah, Prophet, Jesus, Lamb of God, the one who baptizes with the Spirit, the Chosen One, the Son of Joseph, the Nazarene, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Son of Man. He gives them just name after name, title after title, idea after idea. And so I just want to have a look at just, um, just two of those briefly. Just the, the Lamb of God and the, the Chosen One in which he talks about here in these last few verses of um, this section that we're looking at. So it says, the next day, I haven't got this verse written down. The next day, ha, oh, it's behind me. John saw Jesus coming toward him and say, look, the Lamb of God. And say so that word, look, um, some translations you might have behold. Um, and we don't really use the word behold very much today. If someone said behold, <laughs> look at my new shoes um, or whatever. <laughs> We don't really use the word behold, so we, we have to look. But behold is a great word because um, I don't know if it's... I think it's built into us naturally as humans, you know, we, when we see something great, and you see this in young kids, like, look at this, look at this. And what do they do? I don't know, they're standing on one foot. It's like, oh my gosh, like, wow, that's amazing. And you've always got to be impressed. Um, but even as adults, we still keep this up, don't we? If we see something amazing, we say, look. Like if you saw something in the street or if you saw a rainbow um, or a double rainbow or a triple rainbow or whatever, you'd be like, oh, look at that. You want 
Like, even if someone's already looking at it, you're telling them to, to look at it because you want them to see what you're seeing. It's like, I've seen something amazing. Do you see how amazing that is? I've, I've noticed something astounding. Have you seen how astounding that is? And that's what's going on here. John has seen something in Jesus, and he's obviously people are seeing Jesus walk down. They're like, they can see a man coming, and he's saying, look, do you see what I see? Do you see how amazing this is? This is the Lamb of God. Takes away the sin of the world. Look at him. Look at that. Do you see how amazing this is? I know you can see Jesus, but can you see him? Do you really see him? He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In my mind, there is no doubt that John the Baptist knew his Bible. He just has mentioned that he is a voice in the wilderness, and he said, just as Isaiah said. And so when he says, look, the Lamb of God, he's, I think he's got Isaiah in his mind. And what does Isaiah say about, um, about the Lamb of God? He's saying he's a king that has come to suffer, not to rule. A king that has come to come low for everybody. The Lamb of God. Isaiah 53, who has believed what we have heard and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, nor appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted and yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck down because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. But he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. This is the word of God. This is the word that was at the beginning that John has just introduced us to. Now is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Creator. We've just seen. Jesus now is reintroduced through John the Baptist's testimony as the Lamb of God. He was in the beginning. He was pre-existent. He is our reason for life. The Word, the Logos that we talked about, everything made through Him, everything made for Him, and He is the Lamb. He comes so low, despised, rejected, he suffered, taking our sin, our sickness, our shame, our afflictions. And John is saying, do you see him? Behold, the Lamb of God, do you see him? 
He took your rebellion. He took your failures, your inability to keep the standard. Do you see him? Because when you do, it's amazing. When you do, you see yourself so much better. The more you know who Jesus is, the more you'll know who you are. Do you see him? And then finally in verse 34, he says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Well, that phrase, Son of God, um, could be probably better translated chosen Son of God, chosen one of God. The chosen one, the Son of God, the Messiah, there's sort of synonymous in, in John's Gospel anyway to the readers. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is him. This is it. The promised Messiah. And this is the simple thought I want to give you. The Jews have been waiting for the promised one, for the chosen one. Because they thought when he comes, everything will be put right. But their idea of everything put right was not the idea of everything put right in God's mind. The question is this, what are you waiting for? What are you hoping for in life? It's ultimately found in Jesus. He's the one. He is it. He is your ultimate hope, your ultimate reason. Don't look for it in something else or somewhere else. Don't think that once you get that certain amount of money, it'll be okay, or that job change, or that house, or that um, experience, or the stage in life, or that stage. You can change it all and it'll still be left wanting because Jesus, Jesus is the chosen one. He is what you need. He's the one you need to keep your attention on. Do you see him? Are you looking at him? The more you know who Jesus is, the more you'll know who you are. And so we get to this question, so what are we going to do about this? What is, what's the takeaway? I think it's clear from John's writing and John the Baptist's own testimony that there was a deep understanding of who Jesus is. Some of us, I think, um, myself included at times, shy away from deep thinking about the Bible and Jesus and think that, you know, Christianity is simple. It's just about loving God and loving others. And that's enough. We don't need to complicate it any more than that. And I think that's true, but I also think that the more we understand who Jesus is, the, more, the deeper we understand the truth, the better we can love, the better we can express our love for God and express our love for ourselves, I mean, for others, I mean. As one commentator I read put it this week, he said, it says, one thing to understand the Christian walk, but it's another to understand the Christian thought. You see, from your understanding comes your walk. How can we really love God without understanding what that love really looks like and contains? How can we love others without knowing what it looks like and contains? Love for God and for others and even ourselves comes from knowing Jesus and the deeper and more we understand and the more we know Jesus, the deeper and better our love is for him, the better our worship is. You know, this idea of, that I talked about at the start of the year of spirit and truth one is not better than the others. They enrich and enhance each other. Knowledge fuels our love. I love my wife, but if I don't understand her and I keep getting her golf clubs every birthday and Christmas, she's not going to feel like I really know her and love her. She's thinking, I'm, you're just thinking about yourself again, Brad. 
Because that's what I think love is. I think love is this, but when I understand and when I know, actually love is something else. It's missing the potential of what that love could really be like. So love God and love others, but deepen and widen that love by knowing Jesus more. The more you see him and the more you know him, the more you'll know yourself and what it means to love like he did. To go low, to be humble. When John was pressed and pressured with questions, who are you? Who are you? He knew how to answer, both in terms of who he was, but also in pointing towards who Jesus was. You know, he didn't really take that opportunity to point towards himself, his own shortcomings or his own successes. He sort of just put the attention where it should be. So the challenge today is, do you see Jesus? Do you really see him? And how can you see him more this week? How can you deepen your understanding of who he is? I want to invite you to stand and we're going to pray and the team's going to come up and we're going to sing one last song and take communion together in a moment. But I want us to fix our attention on this Jesus and see him more. Lord God, we are so thankful for, for who you are, for what you do in our lives. God, that you are the humble king, the creator who became the lamb, And God, we pray that as we look to you more, as we open our Bibles, as we pray, as we worship you, God, that we would see you for who you really are, that we would grow in our depth of understanding and knowledge of who this Jesus really is. And that as we do that, we will be a voice like John the Baptist, pointing towards him in a way that impacts people and impacts their eternities. Lord God, we thank you that we are not the saviour, that actually that weight, that burden has been taken off our shoulders and we can get out of the way and point to the one who can do something, the life changer, the miracle worker. So God, we pray that we would be a people that get out of the way. People see us and they see straight through us and they see Jesus. Let our lives speak of him more than they speak about ourselves. God, we thank you so much for your grace and your goodness in our life. God, we choose to fix our attention on you now as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.